You know, I'm, I'm, I'm starting these classes uh, in a doctor of ministry degree, so I, I got some stuff to cover before we get done today. <laughs> Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. How many of you students had homework to do this weekend? Yeah, homework. Uh, these are the books that I had to read before my class. And this is the book that I'm reading after my class. It's uh, 500 thick pages, <laughs> thick in content, with very small print. <laughs> and I'm kind of thick. Uh, it's, uh, it's called The Hermeneutical Spiral. Have you read this one? I don't know if you had this in seminary, Deborah. Sounds familiar. Sounds familiar. Uh, professor from TEDS, but uh, hermeneutics is the fancy word for biblical interpretation. The, the rules or the methods of interpreting, really not just the Bible, but any written text. And so our class was all about uh, interpreting the biblical text, and uh, this is the book that I have to read afterwards. I'm, I'm that far through it, and, uh, and I thought I would just share with you some of the things that I'm learning. Because I'm sure you would appreciate it as much as, as I do. I'm using syntax in this broader sense and therefore want to describe in this chapter how these three aspects of exegesis, structure, grammar, and lexical study, can be used together rather than separately. Rhetorical patterns deal with the relationship between sentence units and so provide the foundation for syntactical study. Did you get that? Now, <laughs> who said that? <laughs> I, th this, this is even more meaningful. <laughs> the solution is to, is to back transform the biblical figure of speech into the appropriate kernel and then to forward transform it into the proper equivalent in the receptor language, allowing the needs of the audience to decide which of the three is best in a given situation. <laughs> uh, you don't have to worry. I'm not going to start talking that way. <laughs> Lord willing, I... Uh, I'm learning a few things. Uh, in fact, the author even says that. He says, now, look, I know the average pastor is not going to drill down this deep on some of these things, but at least you can learn these things across the surface. That's me, learning across the surface right there. The people in Corinth seem to think that those who really understand God's Word talk in that kind of sophisticated intellectual language. And the Apostle Paul said, hey, you're dead wrong. Now, I'm not saying there's not a place for this kind of study. Uh, there is, and you know that's a whole other subject. But what the Apostle Paul argues for real hard in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is this. What God's Word needs is to be declared simply and plainly. And as he does that, he almost stops in midstream and anticipates an objection. 
Let's see if we can follow that as we start in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We considered the first five verses last time, but this objection comes right after it. So we'll start at the beginning. And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with a superior kind of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. I didn't use complex, intellectual, philosophical language. He said, verse 2, I determined, to know, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So I just preached God's truth straight up to you. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my, and my preaching were not with persuasive with, uh, words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now right here is where he seems to catch himself and go, uh, I know what they're going to say. And so he goes here, verse 6. However, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But as God has, has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received... Not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. Neither can he, and he, and he cannot know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul makes it very clear that the Bible doesn't need the eloquence of sophisticated intellectual teaching, nor does it require a high level of education to be understood because God's truth is knowable through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is trying to teach these folks in this chapter. Now, just so you remember the broad picture, which we'll come back to in the weeks ahead, these people were arrogant about their intellectualism, about their teachers, about things like this. And the Apostle Paul is fighting that arrogant, arrogant nature saying, listen folks, your supposed superiority of knowledge and wisdom is not what's going to help you understand the Bible. It's the Holy Spirit of God. And so the reason he starts off to say, why, why is this the Word of God knowable through the ministry of the Holy Spirit? First of all, it's because God's truth is wholly self-conceived. Look at verses 6-9 through nine again. Especially verse 9. Let's just start there. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Uh, this verse gets quoted in a lot of contexts, but the primary one is this. God's truth comes from God. Now, I know you're thinking, boy, Pastor Dave, you've got to go to some fancy school to figure that out. 
Some people do. Because they somehow want to say this is some human kind of wisdom and so it takes some human kind of special intelligence to understand it. And Paul says, no, wait a minute. This is God's truth. He gave it to us. And because it's God's truth, God's truth does contain some complex concepts. That's the, that's, the, that's the objection that Paul perceived was coming when he said, look, I, I didn't have to use fancy speech. I just stood up and declared Christ. And, and I think he can hear those people going, yeah, but what about this and this and this? And the Apostle Paul says, verse 6, however, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. He, he says, there is the wisdom of God that has come to us in a mystery, verse 7. And so we need to be honest and say God's truth does contain complex concepts, the wisdom that he refers to here. And, you know, he's been talking about the simplicity of the gospel, but he says there are some things that are hard to understand. I don't know if you've ever seen this this passage in 2 Peter, taken note of it. Peter says, And consider that the patience of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. Here's the Apostle Peter talking about what Paul wrote. As also in all of his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. Peter says, yeah, I know, there's some stuff that's hard to understand. And he says, if you're not careful, if you're untaught and unstable, you will twist the Scripture to your own destruction. God is basically saying, hey, there are some people who mess up God's Word and it ruins their lives and it ruins the lives of those who hear them. So there is some complexity to God's Word. But what Paul says is, it's not the complexity of the world. It's not some philosophical approach to the Scripture. It is the complexity that God has put into His Word. Warren Wiersbe made an excellent observation about this. He said, those who talk about the simple gospel are both right and wrong. Yes, the message of the gospel is simple enough for an uneducated pagan to understand, believe, and be saved. But there is a wisdom of God in the gospel that challenges the keenest intellect. God's truth has a surface reality that is a blessing, and then it has layers of depth that take a lifetime to grasp. That is the, that is the, uh, the wonder of God's infinite intellect. What would we expect from the God who can create everything we see? That he, he writes this letter and it's got one little layer of meaning to it and, and not, you know, significance that, that has to be grasped over time? No, God's Word has some complexity to it. Because that's the way God gave it. The second thing that we observe here that Paul has told us is this. God's Word is not all equally accessible. Now, I need to to give you a a really big caveat right here, a a qualifier for this sermon. Listen to every point until we get to the end. Because in a few more points, you're going to be saying, where are you at, Marion? In a few more points, you're going to be saying, that's right, I can't figure this out. But if you wait all the way till the end, you'll get the, you get the moral to the story. Okay? God's Word is not all equally accessible. What do I mean by that? What I mean is what Paul was just referring to in, in, as he told the Gospel. He said, I preach to you Christ crucified. 
If I were to, to summarize the Gospel, I might start with Adam and Eve in the perfect world. And God said, here's one rule. Don't eat from that tree. And if you eat, I will punish you with eternal hell. And they rebelled and ate. That was sin. But God, instead of sending them to hell, covered them with an animal skin, which was a picture of the death of Christ that was coming. And then Christ came and died and made it possible that their sin could be forgiven because God punished Him for their sin. He was their substitute on the cross as He was for us. Sin has to be punished. And so God punished Christ instead of Adam and Eve because Adam and Eve could have never taken it like you and I couldn't take it. That's the foolishness of trying to pay for your own sin. You say, okay, I'm going to pay for my own sin. Give it to me, God. And what's going to happen is you're going to be consumed and then punished in hell forever. But Christ could take it because He was the God-man. And He took all the punishment of sin. And God says, Dave Lunsford, will you believe what I have done for you? Will you acknowledge your sin and believe in the Savior? And I say, yes. And when I do, I'm changed. Now, was that complex? No. But there is some truth in God's Word that is much more complex. There is some that is very simple. There is some that is very complex. When Paul says in, in verses uh, 1 through 5, I, I just preached Christ to you. And then verse 6, he says, Now there is the wisdom of God. There is the wisdom of God in a mystery. Verse 7. It's not all equally accessible. Look at verse 6. The reason is because you've got to be mature to get a hold of some of God's truth. It's not that it's hidden. It's all right here. But uh, until you grow in Christ, you can't grasp it all. What does it mean to be mature? What does it mean to be mature? Ephesians 4.13 defines it. Until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect Man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The word for mature is the same that's translated perfect. When Paul says we speak the wisdom of God among the mature, he says we're talking to people that have grown up in Christ. Now the maturity that Ephesians 4 is talking about is complete, total maturity. When's that going to happen, class? What? When we see Christ face to face, either at our death, or at the rapture, whenever that happens, God is going to finish up all of our maturity. But the definition of maturity stands. It is Christ-likeness. And so, along the path that we're walking now, we are growing in maturity. You see, we would define this maturity here as, let's, let's call it a 10 on the maturity scale. And then we would come over here to a brand new Christian and call him or her a one. And, and as they walk with the Lord day by day, it's a two, it's a three, and maybe someday it's a six or a seven, and they're moving toward maturity. And the, the growth in Christ enables the knowledge of the Word of God. The Apostle Paul knew this goal of being a ten and he knew the reality of not being a ten yet. That's what he talks about in Philippians 3. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected. He said, I'm not a ten on the maturity scale. 
but I am pressing on so that I can lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. I'm doing my best to move up to be more like Christ by applying God's Word in my life. Therefore, as many of us as are mature, let us have this mind. The idea of maturity in the Christian faith is both absolute at the end of life and relative all the way through life. The idea of an elder from the Scripture is the idea of spiritual maturity. And it's relative. I may be more mature, Lord willing, I am more mature than some of you, but Pastor Ralph is more mature than me. And Pastor Ralph, who would you think of that's more mature than you? His brother. There is a a never-ending scale of maturity. And what the Apostle Paul says here in Philippians 3 is he says, look, here's the truth of God, and if you have achieved a relative amount of maturity, you will understand this truth. You'll grasp it. It's possible, though, that here's somebody down at the one or two level, and they're going, I don't get it. That's okay. Just keep working to be more like Christ, and as the days go by, God's Word will open to you more and more. Because it is spiritually discerned, first and foremost. God's truth is not all equally accessible. God's truth is appropriated one piece at a time. To be maturing means to live righteously according to the light that you have. Um, You might look at yourself and say, well, I, I don't think I'm that mature. Here's the better question. Are you maturing? Are you growing? Are you progressing from that one to that ten? And then the word mature. Uh, you know, we would, we would look at those who have, say, grown substantially and say, that's a mature Christian. And often we're able to make that judgment, not because that person is something special, but they've gathered some of the attributes of Christ And so you see them live in their life different ways and you go, well, that person's mature. And usually when you say that about somebody, what what you're also thinking is, man, I'm going to be more like that. And that's also part of the Christian life. That's how it's supposed to be working. We're supposed to be seeing those who are ahead of us. Like like the teacher of my my doctoral class, Dr. William Arp, 72 years old, been teaching seminary for 40-something years. And that guy is sharp as a tack. (laughs) And he's teaching a Sunday school class. And he's got kids who walk with the Lord. And a wife who is a well-known in that circle back there, teacher of the Bible. Thought that's the way I want to be when I'm 72 years old. Growing in Christ. God's truth is appropriated one piece at a time, day by day, week by week, as I walk in the Spirit. As I walk in the Lord. God's Word is not just an intellectual endeavor to know. It is something to know and live. And and somehow the knowledge and the life works together and we're able to grow both in the knowledge and in the living. God's Word is not all equally accessible. Some As we grow in Christ, we understand more of it. And God's truth is not simplistic. What do I mean by simplistic? Look at verse 7. 1 Corinthians 2, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. 
Now, if we just take a couple of those words on face value, we go, yeah, that's right. The Word of God's a mystery. I can't figure it out. That's not what the word mystery means in the New Testament at all. When I make things out of wood, which I haven't done for a while, that's why I don't have any band-aids on today, I don't always have a well-defined plan before I start. I know that will shock you. But I, I think about it, I kind of conceive it. Once in a while, I put something on paper, then I think, okay, I'm going to build this thing, uh, and so I'm going to start here. And, and maybe I start with, you know, I'm going to build a little table so I know the leg's going to be two feet high or whatever. So I start with that, and I cut the legs, and I put some pieces together, and I go, okay, what am I going to do next? Well, I think I'll do it like this, and i do it like that. And almost without doubt, I will get to a point where I go, Hmm, should have done that different. Maybe I'll have to take that apart and start over. I can't remember what the last thing I built was, but I know I had to go back to Windsor Plywood and get another piece of material. And what Paul is saying about God's Word is this. God didn't write His Word like that. There wasn't a time when God said, Hmm, I think I'll create the world. Oh, that didn't work out too good. Well, here. Here's what you need to do. Mm, no, it didn't work out that good either. God has an infinite knowledge. And so His Word was written, conceived of, planned out. All of this stuff that's going on around us in God's mind way before the world was created. That's what it means here when he said, the hidden wisdom of God ordained before the ages for our glory. Listen to this about the crucifixion of Christ. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose. That's the same word as ordained in, in verse 7 there. Him, by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death. The death of Christ was not an accident, and yet God still held those men accountable for it. God created this. He created this wisdom in times past. Even though God knew all of His truth at once, he didn't reveal it all at once. He revealed His truth a little at a time. And so when we read, say, Adam and Eve, and we see Adam and Eve sin, and then we see God clothe them with an animal skin, God didn't say, now Adam and Eve, someday Jesus Christ is going to come and die for your sin. The way that I just shared that with you, Adam and Eve didn't know that. And so we read about Adam and Eve and we struggle sometimes to grasp everything that went on. God didn't tell them the whole story and He didn't tell us any more than He told them about their situation. And so there's a, there's a complexity to God's Word where the whole story isn't told till Christ comes and dies and buried and rose again. And then we get to the book of Hebrews which really unpacks all this stuff about Christ. And so God, is that simplistic? No. 
We, we read about Adam and Eve and we say, I want to understand it. We read about Jesus and we go, oh, I'm starting to get it. We read the book of Hebrews and we go, oh, okay, I see how all this works now. If we'd written the Bible, we would have written it propositionally. Da 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 da. Therefore, da 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 da. Therefore, da 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 da. We'd have written it like a textbook. God chose not to do that. He wrote it in real time in real people's lives, and so so God's word is not simplistic. But here is, if you see this word mystery here in verse seven. We need to understand what that is. The word mystery refers to parts of God's truth that he kept to himself until he decided to reveal it. Apostle Paul is talking in Ephesians 3, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation or the area of responsibility of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation... By God revealing His truth, He made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, which, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Well, what's the mystery of Christ? Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it now has been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets, here is the mystery that the Gentiles or the non-Jewish people should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the Gospel. Now, this truth is not hard to understand, but the part that's a little complex is this. God never told anybody this was going to happen until this moment. You can't find that in the Old Testament anywhere, no matter how hard you try. And you can't find it in the Gospels. Some intimations of it. But at this moment, the Apostle Paul said, here is a truth that God never revealed until right now that Gentiles and Jews together will be in the body of Christ. That's what a mystery is. God kept His truth to Himself until a point in time in which He revealed it. And so God's truth is not simplistic. There is some challenge to understanding it. And, and here's the worst news, Marion. Um, God's truth is beyond human comprehension. <laughs> we talked about this in Sunday school. That's why I'm talking to her about it. Look at verse 8. Verse 7, he says, We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom. There are things that God kept secret until now when Paul is speaking it. Verse 8 says, Which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. As it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them. He said, look, human beings cannot grasp this on their own. The best way I can explain it is this. And Marion, you'll understand this because you were a librarian, right? Right? There's two elements to learning to read. One is learning... What do the symbols on the page mean? You know, we, we start with uh, see, dick, run. Run, dick, run. And, and we, le we learn R-U-N sounds like run. And then somebody says, well, run is when you go like this. And you go, oh yeah, run, I know about running. And seeing is when you do like this. And dick is a person that we're talking about. And so they read the book and they go, 
see Dick run. Oh, Dick is running. And we call that comprehension. You, you read the words on the page, then you comprehend their meaning. That's what Paul is saying about the rulers of this age in verse 8. They did not comprehend the truth of God. Let me ask you this question. Did the people, the Jewish leaders, who crucified Christ, did they know the truth in the Old Testament that spoke about the Messiah? Yes. They knew. Remember, when the, when the wise men came to Herod, he went to the scribes, where is the Christ to be born? In Bethlehem of Judea. And, and right on down the line, they knew the truth. Did they comprehend the truth as it applied to Christ? Not at all. In fact, they fought the truth. And that's why Jesus said this on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He said they can't comprehend this. And so the Apostle Paul is making a really strong case to say, look, you can't figure out God's truth on your own. This is not a human thing. You don't just go to school and then all of a sudden you can understand God's truth. God's truth is wholly self-conceived. It contains complex concepts. It's not equally accessible. It's not simplistic. It's beyond human comprehension. It's also beyond human creation, as he says here in verse 9. But as the TV commercial says, I've got great news for you. Look at verse 10. But, the Apostle Paul says, it's God's Word. It's revealed this way. It's challenging and so on. But, God has revealed His truth to us through His Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's way of revealing His truth. The Holy Spirit communicated God's truth to mankind. That's talking first and foremost about the inspiration of God's Word. Peter wrote it this way, that no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Man didn't sit around and think up this stuff and write it down and call it God's Word. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit prompted godly men like Peter and Paul and superintended some of their writings. The Apostle Paul makes reference to a letter to the Corinthians that we don't have. So not everything they wrote was inspired. They weren't inspired. The Word of God was inspired. And the Holy Spirit superintended some of their writing so that God's truth was faithfully recorded. And the result of that, I think, is summarized by Peter. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So the great news is, first and foremost, God's thoughts are His thoughts. It's His truth. It is not simplistic, but the Holy Spirit made sure that God's truth was communicated through men like Peter and Paul and Matthew and Mark and Luke, and it was written down and got to them just the way God wanted it said. We cannot think our way up to Him but He did speak down to us so that we can know Him and all the truth that we ever need for life is here. 
for this life and to live forever with Him in heaven. It's all here. And the news gets better. Not only has God revealed them to us through His Spirit, verse 10, but we see in verse 12, we have received the Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells all believers. Jesus said this when He was getting ready to leave His disciples, the apostles. I will pray the Father and He will give you another Helper that He may abide with you forever. He he was basically saying, I have been with you. Now someone is going to come to take my place. And He will abide with you. He will dwell with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Unbelievers cannot receive the Spirit of truth because it neither sees, the world does not see Him or know Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and He will be in you. This is a a tremendously significant theological statement. In the Old Testament, think real hard now, those of you that know your Old Testament. Do you remember David saying, please don't take your spirit from me? Why did he pray that? Why? Because he could take him. And so what we see in the Old Testament is the Holy Spirit came on some people at some time to do some work. And we see with King Saul, who sinned greatly against God, God said, you're not going to be the king anymore, and I'm removing my spirit from you. But So the apostles, they come along, they're with Jesus, and they see miracles happening, they do things, they hear God's teaching. The Spirit is with them. And Jesus says, and now, He's going to be in you. It's a whole new era coming. The Spirit is going to indwell you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, what's He going to do? Whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Now, I understand that this has a primary reference to the apostles. How do you think Peter, who, who may have been one of the authors of Gospel of Mark, Mark may have been his helper, how do you think he wrote all that stuff down? How did Matthew... You know, the Gospels weren't written till, till maybe 20 years or more after Christ. How well do you remember three years of 20 years ago? Well, you remember a few things. Some of you were in basic training not 20 years ago, but maybe 40. And you're going, well, I remember that week. And I remember that day. But Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew 20 or more years after Christ. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God said, hey, Matthew, this is important, this is important, this is important. And he's writing, he's he's thinking about the life of Christ, pulling it together. Same thing with Luke and, and so on. And I realize there's a primary understanding that that this applies to them, but it also applies to us in a broader sense that it is the Holy Spirit's ministry to help us grasp or comprehend God's Word. When we accept Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells us. And He's the one who caused the Bible to be written, and He's the one who can open our eyes to its truth. What we read in John 14 is the same thing we're reading in 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. There's kind of two elements to this thing. God says, here is the Bible. It's been freely given to you. We have it all. 
Now, how do we know it? How do we comprehend it? By the Spirit of God. Here's the Bible. Here's the Holy Spirit. He's going to help us understand it. The Holy Spirit, then, we use this word, illuminates. He, he lightens us. He opens our eyes. In Ephesians 1, uh, we read about that. And, and uh, He opens our eyes. Um, what does that look like? First John talks about it. You have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Do you feel like you know all things, Marion? No. <laughs> you know all things. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know the truth and that no lie is of the truth. In the context here, he's talking about false teachers. And there were some false teachers troubling them in this church. And then those false teachers went out and they left the church. And he's saying to these people, look, you, un you, you could tell that that was a lie. You could know the lie from the truth. And the reason is because you have an anointing from God. And I believe that's a reference to the Holy Spirit. We just read about John 14. These things that I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have from Him abides, and you do not need that anyone teach you. Is that the way you feel, Mary, that you don't need any teachers? No. <laughs> you don't need anybody to teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and it's true and it's not a lie, just as it is taught you, you will abide in Him. Now here's the, let me just summarize this down a little bit. Does that mean I'm out of a job? No. You're going to pay me until you carry me out of here in a box. <laughs> because in Ephesians 4, God says He gave pastor teachers to the church for the very purpose of what I'm doing right now. So this does not get rid of that. You know, there's a whole, whole branch of evangelical world which says it's wrong to have a full-time pastor and we're supposed to all do this and that. No, it's not wrong. But what you need to understand is your understanding of Scripture does not come from me. It comes from the Holy Spirit of God. I am His helper. He's the one enlightening you. You know, there's times when, when you will come to me after church or next week and you say, you know, the Lord is, was, was encouraging me to do this and this and this like you were speaking last week. And I'm thinking, I don't remember really saying that. It's kind of in line with what I was saying. But I realized the Holy Spirit took His Word and, and somehow by the words that I spoke, He got God's message to this person so that they would do this thing. That is what's going on. It is the Holy Spirit who illuminates. I am just His helper or some, your Sunday school teacher or whoever it might be, your discipler. This passage in John is not teaching that you should fire me. Clearly God intends to use teachers in the body, but... This passage is teaching that believers have the ability to discern the truth from a lie because the Holy Spirit is in them. Now look back at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, or 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we can know the things that have been freely given to us by God. I do want to make just a, a point here that's really important. God has given us all of this and the Holy Spirit helps us understand. But here's something 
I want you to write down because it's really profound. You cannot know God's truth with a closed Bible. One of the things that I read about in one of these books is this idea that people would say, well, I don't, you know, you can just open God's Word anywhere and read anything and God could speak to you, write what you need right at that moment. I believe God can do that. But what I read, and we're going to look at a little bit more here in a minute, is this. God expects us to read it and to work at understanding it. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit then comes along and opens our eyes. I have uh, an acquaintance who likes to talk about doctrine. And he really want, got in this thing about wanting to talk about the doctrine of the end times. You know, the things that are yet future to us. And he talked about, talked about, and his ideas were wrong. And I said, no, God's Word says this. No, God's Word says this. No. I mean, it's like, hey, I mean, this is not some, some fancy thing I'm thinking up. It's right here, plain black and white. And finally, I said, look, if we're going to talk about this, you've got to read the Bible. You can't discern theology without reading the Bible. And he said, yes, you can. And I thought, can you hear yourself talking? That's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard anybody say. Excuse me. It was very underintelligent. You know, whatever. You will not learn God's Word without either reading or listening. Now, I understand in the day of Corinth, they didn't read the Bible. They listened to it. Because number one, a lot of them couldn't read. And number two, hardly any of them could have afforded a copy of the Bible. And so they came to church and the pastor... That's why Paul says to Timothy, give attention to the reading of the Word. And so maybe they'd read the whole book of 1 Timothy or, or they'd read it and then the pastor would talk about it. And the Bible that the people got was what they could hear and remember. And so you, you don't have to physically read it, but somehow it has to get into your head. Whether that's listening or reading, we have a great privilege today to have wonderful Bible translations and wonder Bible wonderful Bible study tools. The Holy Spirit is not going to give you God's truth or help you to comprehend apart from your reading or hearing it and... The Holy Spirit does not take the place of my effort. The Holy Spirit does not take... I didn't say intelligence, I said effort. Okay? Not, and, and frankly, one of my reference points here is the, the dear people at Shepherds, uh, a home that we support for those who are mentally handicapped. We used to use the word retarded. People that are, that are really intellectually low who memorize God's Word and can answer intelligent questions about God's Word and believe in Christ. So don't tell me it's an intelligence issue. It's an effort issue and a Holy Spirit issue. The Holy Spirit will not take the place of my effort. Do you know this key verse from Awana? If you know it, say it with me. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker. A worker who does not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay? Is the Holy Spirit the one who's going to open your eyes? Yes, but He's going to open your eyes while you're working to understand. While you're reading and studying and comparing, as we'll see here, spiritual things with spiritual. You can't learn God's word with a closed Bible. 
You can't comprehend God's Word without the effort of study. Salvation was a free gift, but the Christian life requires our effort to work with God, and part of that is the work of studying God's Word. Earlier in this same chapter, Paul said this to Timothy. He said, consider, think about what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding. Isn't that a marvelous little summary of this text? Think about it. Meditate on it. Give effort to the understanding, and the Lord will open your eyes. That's exactly what can happen, what needs to happen. We need to pray this prayer when we open the Bible. Open my eyes that I may see the wondrous things from your law. Open my eyes that I may see. I pray along those lines repeatedly while I study for these moments right here when I'm standing in front of you. When I pick up a commentary on 1 Corinthians, I've got several of them that I use to help me study. And whenever I pick one up and start to read today this passage out of that book, that's the first thing I do is say, oh God, help me to learn from this godly man. I don't presume that I have the ability without the Holy Spirit. Have you heard the old joke about two preachers on the train? Just happened by accident to be sitting next to each other. And one guy had his Bible and his notepad and he's, he's writing like this and turning the pages and writing. And, and uh, they'd already found out they were both preachers. So the other one says to him, oh, what are you doing there? He says, well, I'm preparing my sermon for this week. I'm studying the Bible. Oh, And he looks over at the other fellow. He says, "Uh, how do you prepare your sermons? He said, oh, I don't prepare. I just open my mouth and let the Spirit move. Well, what if he doesn't move? I just talk until he does. (laughs) Have you been to a church like that? Have you been to a Sunday school class like that? To whatever level I know God's Word, it's only because I've been preparing to preach and studying for all these years. It's not that I'm super smart. I'm just saying, God, please open Your Word to me. The only time I preach or teach without studying ahead of time is when God calls me to do it on the spur of the moment. It's presumptuous of me to think, oh yeah, I can get up there and nail this down. Really? This is not a mental endeavor. It's not just a skill endeavor. It's a spiritual endeavor. And verse 13 is the essence of that work that we have to do. These things we also speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but that which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The unsaved person... Excuse me. This is what we need to do here. God did not give His Word like a math textbook where He said, these are numbers, this is addition, this is subtraction, da-da-da-da-da, this is algebra. He said, here's the creation of the world, and so on and so forth. And so we've got to take this whole book. This is what makes Bible study hard. Take this whole book and say, how does this all fit together? Because that's where the truth lies. Every error comes by taking a piece of God's Word and going, there it is right there. My whole life and ministry right there. And meanwhile, we have removed that piece from this hole, which over here it said, don't do that. 
And so we've got to understand the whole. That is the challenge for us. But the Holy Spirit is capable of doing that. It takes work. But the good news is, God's truth is wholly open to those who know Him. Look at verse 14. The natural man, the man who is unsaved, he's only natural, he's not become spiritual through faith in Christ. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. But he who is spiritual, verse 15, judges or is able to make judgments to to, uh, understand all things. The unsaved person can sit in this room and hear the words coming out of my mouth, but what they walk out with is, that's foolishness. That doesn't make sense. And it's not because I have done such a terrible job. It's because they don't have the Spirit of God to open God's Word to them. Uh, Wednesday night, Raul and I were visiting in my office as we do most Wednesday nights for a little bit. And he, he shared couple of pieces of his life, and I said, man, i got to have you share that on Sunday morning. Come here, Raul. Raul, uh, my son-in-law, if you don't know, couldn't be more proud of him if he was my own son, and uh, grew up in Salvador, grew up in a religion that's part of the majority uh, religion in that country, went to a religious high school, and had to study the Bible, and had to pass. Tell him about that. Yeah, as many of you know, well, you know a lot of my stories, but uh, and I, I, I was debating, should I bring my Bible? But honestly, with what we're listening right now, this is one of the greatest blessings we have to have God's Word. And I appreciate this Bible because I didn't have that access before. My mom used to put it on a shelf or something like that. But we were really religious. Every Christmas we had to do the repetition prayer and all that. I didn't understand what I was saying. It was just repetition but um, I, was, uh, I went to a Catholic uh, uh, high school, and I graduated from the high school, and uh, we had a class called religion, and um, I didn't understand, honestly, what I was reading. I winged it, and um, I had a book, just one, like one of those, and it was for my finals of the year, and I remember reading this book and just reading and reading, memorizing everything, and honestly, I couldn't understand. I, I remember uh, uh, John... Uh, uh, you John know, the, Baptist. the Baptist, because uh, something about locust. Uh, that's what I, you know, he used to <laughs> he eat locust and eat honey. Yeah, but that's, that's your one thing you remember. That's what I remember. <laughs> but anyways, I used to grab little words like that, and I memorized everything, and I passed, you know, that subject. And I, uh, I think I was one of the lowest grade, but I graduated, and I could have failed my whole, you know, graduation because of that religion class. Um, I didn't understand, honestly, what I was reading. I memorized everything. And uh, I was really good in school. And, uh, but well, there was a day that uh, I really needed Jesus uh, in my heart. And I remember accepting Christ as my Lord and Savior and going home. And I got my first Bible. It was a Spanish Bible. And I remember opening this Bible and reading. And it's just literally like something fell off my eyes. And I could understand everything. And I was just like, I didn't know this. I remember opening my Bible. I'm like, really? And I remember making phone calls to El Salvador to my cousin. Did you know this is a sin? Did you know this is what God says? And I could just hear like, oh boy, you became a hallelujah. (laughs) 
But you know what? I didn't care about that. And I remember even talking to my parents and telling them I was afraid about telling them that I had gotten saved. And they said, you know, as long as you are following the Lord, you're okay. And eventually got saved. And it's just amazing that God's word is very true. It's very, you know, I confess to you, I don't read it enough. And God is still faithful that when I open his word, he speaks to me. And this yeah. is the way how he speaks to us. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's definitely through his spirit. Amen. Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Roel. Um, and I can attest to you, how, long, how many years have you been a Christian? Thirteen. When we talk about the things of God's word and of people's lives, he knows the word. He's not been to a Bible college, not been to a seminary. The Holy Spirit opened his eyes, and he took advantage of that and got into the Bible. <laughs> wow, that is how we understand God's Word. It's, it's, it's like this when Jesus was talking to these two guys on the road to Emmaus after his, cru- his crucifixion and resurrection. He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures, and they, and they had the same feeling Raul. They went... Wow, I get it now. You don't have to be able to read to understand God's truth as long as you can hear it. You don't have to take notes in church. We provide those notes as a way to help you learn. Some people learn better taking notes. You don't want to take notes? Lord bless you. not going to hurt my feelings. We have, though, the great opportunity to learn God's truth Because we have the Holy Spirit. We have a greater opportunity in some ways than any past generation since Christ because we have so much knowledge about God's Word and about that era. And it's a wonderful opportunity. But you know that verse in 2 Timothy 2.15 uses the word a workman. Study to show yourself approved unto God a workman. I think the best translation of that word is craftsman. And so I would ask the question this morning, first of all, do you understand God's Word? When you open it up, are you like Raul before he knew Christ or after? Because that is the most important thing you could grasp this morning. Is my inability to understand God's Word primarily the, the, because I don't have the Spirit of God? I have never believed in Christ as my Savior, and so the Spirit has not come in. And so when I read it, 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 it is hard for me, and I don't get anything out of it. Oh, wouldn't you believe in Christ today? Wouldn't you, wouldn't, wouldn't you like to have that aha moment where you go, wow, how great is this? And if you are in Christ today, I would just ask you, are you a craftsman with the Word of God or are you a hacker? Boy, I want to be a craftsman. I hope you do too. Heavenly Father, thank You for making Your Word accessible to us. And it's not dependent on going to a lot of schooling or any of those things. All those things are good and they can be good and valuable and useful. We know that. But Your Holy Spirit reveals Your truth to us. He opens the truth to us as we open Your Word and prayerfully study it. Oh Lord, make it so today. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Worship team is going to come. Let's stand and sing a song and ask God to bring His message home to us as He wants for us today.